Hello and welcome to Footbridge to Vietnam where we spotlight different areas of life, culture and work in one of the hottest and fastest growing parts of Southeast Asia. Today's episode is Vietnamese a difficult language to learn. It's the second episode in the Vietnamese language series. So stay tuned. When I first got to Vietnam and started learning Vietnamese, it was crazy difficult just to pronounce the name of my street. And the street's name, by the way, is Dien Bien Phu, which is the name of the famous battle in 1954 when the Vietnamese beat the French. Now today, you'll find a Dien Bien Phu street in every major city in Vietnam, and loads of the minor ones too. And I also speak, or have tried learning, French, Polish, Mandarin, Japanese, Arabic, so I'm not super fresh when it comes to foreign languages. Nevertheless, It took me six weeks until grab drivers could finally understand what the hell I was saying. This is six full weeks of grab drivers just staring at me and shaking their head while I repeated, number, 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 dien bien phu. Now, little did I know at the start of my Vietnamese language learning journey that this would be my experience for the next couple of years studying Vietnamese with friends, colleagues, shopkeepers, waitstaff, most locals. And if you ask Vietnamese people about learning their language, they will tell you, it is hard. And sometimes I think that they secretly enjoy watching like sweaty foreigners fumbling with it in their hot, difficult country. And honestly, you don't have to go into the Mekong to feel like you're in the jungle. Just try asking for your banh mi without chili in Vietnamese. But... Whether you are a scarred veteran of the Vietnamese language or you're a prospective learner wondering if you should try it, then this episode is for you because it's all about one question. Is Vietnamese difficult or not? And the answer, despite what people say, is a bit of both. So in this episode, we'll cover two areas. One, language difficulty, what it means, how you measure it, and what the official scales tell us. And two... Vietnamese, the good news and the bad when it comes to studying this language. So point one, what is language difficulty? Now there is no one skill called language. You're actually talking about a bunch of skills that people generally divide into four groups, listening, speaking, reading, and writing. And these skill groups are linked But someone can have very different skill levels in different areas, which just depends on the type of exposure to the language or the instruction and the practice that they've had. So, for example, I'm a child of Malaysian immigrants to New Zealand. So I grew up in a house where Chinese is spoken, but where I mainly speak English. And this is why my passive listening skills in Chinese are pretty good. And my conversational speaking confidence is okay on simple topics. But my vocabulary, grammar, it's poor, and my writing skills, they don't exist. So what I like to tell people when they ask about my Chinese is that my language ability stopped at the age of five. I'm basically a five-year-old when it comes to speaking Chinese. Now, others might learn a language through the traditional classroom method that focuses on reading, writing, and translation. And many of you might remember school language classes like this. And this is actually how I learned French. 
and it's why after five years of school classes, I had great grammar, reading and writing, but I couldn't hold a normal conversation with a French person requiring some spontaneous interaction. My brain would literally just crash like a computer. Like if it wasn't on a test paper, I couldn't do it. And only after working in France in a hotel for a few months did I eventually pick up the skill of conversation. So, in short, there are different skill areas, and when you're talking about someone's language ability, someone's skill levels can vary across all of these areas. But measuring the difficulty of languages is extremely difficult. For one thing, there are so many things that can affect how quickly a person acquires a new language. So, natural ability, individual motivation, personal circumstances, the quality of instruction practice and the materials used, and of course the first language of the learner. All of these play into a learner's progress. And so this makes it difficult to generalize about how long it takes to learn a new language. That said, certain organizations that specialize in teaching foreign languages have tried. So the US Foreign Service Institute, which basically trains all of America's diplomats, is one of these. And it's come up with a scale of difficulty for certain world languages. This scale is based on the amount of time a reasonably capable English-speaking beginner can attain, quote, general professional proficiency in reading and speaking. So note, the FSI's scale is intended to measure difficulty for English speakers only, so it doesn't necessarily apply to speakers of other languages, and it also focuses on speaking and reading. So what does general professional proficiency mean? It means you can participate in most conversations on practical, social, and professional topics, including special interests or fields of competence, with reasonable ease. You can use language as part of normal professional duties, and you'll seldom have to search for a word. And although you may still have an obviously foreign accent, it and your errors will rarely disturb a native speaker. So general professional proficiency is a fairly high level and you'd be able to work exclusively in that language without too much of a hitch to the other native speakers. Now the language difficulty scale consists of four categories and before I take you through them, I'd like you to try and take a guess at where you would put Vietnamese on a scale of one to four. One being fairly straightforward, two being somewhat challenging, three being quite challenging and four being exceptionally difficult. Okay, so are you ready? Category 1 languages comprise of European languages, so particularly Romance and Germanic languages such as French, Dutch and Spanish that are related to or quite similar to English. And these should take a learner about 600 class hours to get to professional proficiency. Category 2 takes you into languages like German, Malay and Swahili and they'll run you to about 900 hours. Category 3 includes Turkish, Polish, Zulu, Finnish, and Lao, and learners will take about 1,100 hours to reach general proficiency in languages in this category. And Category 4, comprising of languages considered exceptionally difficult, include Mandarin, Arabic, Japanese, and Korean. So languages in this category are estimated to take a learner over 2,000 hours of study to reach the general professional proficiency standard. That's almost one full year at 40 hours a week, and two years at 20 or less. So how about Vietnamese? Well, anecdotally, I've never heard anyone say it was easy, and I have one friend who speaks Malay and Spanish who swears it's a cryptolect. 
It's like a language purposely designed to be difficult for others to learn. However, the official answer is category three. So that's quite challenging, and there are some indications that it is considered more difficult than your average category three language. But what you should do is have a listen to the rest of the episode and decide for yourself where you think it should go. So, point two, the main question: Is Vietnamese actually difficult? And in this section, we'll go through some of the key parts that make it so difficult for speakers of English, and some of the parts that are surprisingly fairly easy. And as with the good rule in life, let's start with the bad news first. Now, the main piece of bad news with learning Vietnamese is to do with the sounds. And they're hard to say, they're hard to distinguish, and they're hard to hear. So let's deal with the category of sounds that is the most obvious target: the tones. In Vietnamese, there are at least six tones. The six tones are flat, falling, rising, heavy stop, dipping, rising, and creaking, rising. And here's what they sound like: flat, ha, falling, ha, rising, ha, heavy stop, ha. Dipping, ha, and creaking, rising, ha, and altogether, ha, 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 and words with different tones on them will have completely different meanings. So the word ban, b-a-n, depending on what tone you put on it, can mean sell, friend, table, copy, or unkind. And to the native English speaker's ear, the different tones are hard to pick up and tell apart, and to pronounce, especially at anything resembling full-speed conversation. So, for example, the difference between "ban" and "ban," which is the difference between the falling tone and the dipping rising tone. Some are just naturally tough to pronounce because nothing like it exists in English. And so the heavy stop tone is a good example. Some describe it as like a heavy drop. Others say it's kind of like a verbal fry, which ends up cutting off like the final sound of the word. And here's how Google Translate pronounces the flat versus the heavy stop. Niem, 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 niem. So tones are tough, and it just takes some time for them to work themselves into your brain. And they will. And as a bit of added encouragement, English creates the same issues with its word stress. So, for example, the difference between record and record, which drives Vietnamese learners of English crazy, trying to remember which is the verb and which is the noun. And the same goes for words like permit and permit, and desert and dessert, and many others. And there's no secret. I mean, in English or in Vietnamese, you you just have to learn these subtle differences in sound. But for English speakers. We aren't used to hearing the tones, and so they're tough at first. And well, hell, they're tough later too. Now, tones are a good way to segue into the next topic: the accents. Now, in Vietnamese, there are three main accent groups: North, Central, and South. And they differ in pronunciation of tones and some letters, and differ in vocabulary. So, the word for cup in Northern Vietnamese is cop, and in Southern Vietnamese, it's li. And in Northern Vietnamese, the letters D, G followed by an I, and R are pronounced with a Z sound, 
Well, in the South, they and V, but not R, are spoken with a Y sound. And so just to show you what this sounds like, the following sentence, which means the coconut tree is very old, in northern Vietnamese would sound like Gai zi zat za zoi, while in southern Vietnamese will be said Gai ye rai ya roi. These localized differences mean that wherever in Vietnam you go, you'll end up having to learn the local accent. However, this is tricky because many Vietnamese people will instinctively correct or teach you the Hanoian accent because of the view that it is the correct or the standard pronunciation, which, if you're in the central or southern area of Vietnam, isn't what they and the locals actually say. So, for example, the heavy stop tone is spoken with a heavy drop or a stop at the end. But in the south, there's a tiny rise on the bottom. And I've noticed this sitting opposite a Vietnamese friend while repeating the word that I hear her saying, but which is completely different from what she's describing. And then when I go and try it on the locals, they have no idea what I'm saying. And then taking the falling rising tone, so the one that it kind of drops a little bit and then rises a little bit, in the north, it starts lower and finishes lower than the southern version. This can actually make it sound like the heavy stop tone I just mentioned. And here's Google Translate, which is based on the Hanoi pronunciation to show you what I mean. And you decide which is the falling rising tone and which is the heavy stop. Yeah. 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 Is that difficult? I had a lot of trouble picking that up. And just so you know, the first one is the heavy stop, and the second is the falling rising. So these differences in pronunciation and the advice that you receive make it harder to get your tongue around the tones and the sounds of Vietnamese because it's like a secret password that, that someone needs to tell you, and until you figure out the secret password, you'll, you'll just get a lot of confused looks. Now, the next difficult feature are the vowels, and there are about... 12 different vowels in Vietnamese. And some of these vowel sounds are pretty subtle to the English ear. For example, the difference between the U and the O with a little hook mark on it. And the difference is And to the English-speaking listeners, that is a legitimate vowel difference, which if you get wrong, will mean people can't understand you. And I guarantee you, any Vietnamese listeners will be wondering, like, what, are you deaf? That's obvious. And one of my toughest lessons was spending half an hour with a teacher practicing the difference between ka and ko. And Kaoi, you have my everlasting love and respect for all of the hair that we lost that day. And there are also a ton of sounds comprised of two or even three vowels strung together. And we just don't use these vowel combos nearly so much as in English, but in Vietnamese they are everywhere, which makes them hard to say and hard to hear and hard to differentiate for English speakers. And the same goes for consonants. So most people have seen the common Vietnamese name spelt N-G-U-Y-E-N. And they'll often pronounce it like Nguyen or Nguyen. And it's actually pronounced Nguyen. And one of the reasons it's tough is because although in English we have the NG consonant cluster at the end of words like thing or song, we don't put it at the start of words. So it's awkward to get our mouths around. And a great tip a colleague once told me was to say it like the sentence thing when. 
but just don't pronounce the T-H-I at the beginning. Other consonants are tough to differentiate. For example, the difference between the T and the T-H. And so the TH sound is kind of like the T that you would say in the English word ton, T-O-N, ton. So you can hear that there's a slight breathiness to the T, T there. The T without the H, it's kind of softer. It doesn't, it sounds more like the D, like a D sound, but it isn't a D sound because there is a letter uh, that, that for that D sound, it's like a D with a little cross through the the top bar of the the d and so it's somewhere between a t and a d so it's more like a d d if you can hear that that difference there and so those are the main tricky parts of the sounds the tones the vowels and consonants are all difficult to pick up tell apart and pronounce properly for english speakers and the different regional accents add more complexity to this phonology And this is a real stumbling block at the beginning, because with languages where the grammar and vocabulary of the target language is difficult, but you can still say words, you can still kind of communicate, which makes learning satisfying. So if you can point and say, I coffee, please, and you get a coffee, that still feels pretty cool. But if instead you get a cucumber sandwich, or they get out Google Translate, switch to English, or just shake their heads and walk away, then that feels fairly stink. And this difficulty in the beginning stages is what can make learning Vietnamese feel so hard. Now, I wish I could tell you that that was the end of the bad news, but it's not. We've still got the grammar! But, to be fair, the grammar isn't as difficult as the phonology, and there are just some weird and niggly bits that you should be aware of, especially for the bits that don't exist in English. Now, when it comes to grammar, the bit that most foreigners will run into first are the pronouns. So, in languages like English or Chinese, you have one way to say I, you, he, she, we, or they. And in some languages like French, the U is split into like a singular and a plural form and is, it's sort of also as a term of politeness. In Vietnamese, you generally refer to somebody according to their age relative to yours. So the example in English that makes this most relatable is probably the way that children refer to their parents as mother, mom or ma, and father, dad or pa. And so if a child were to call out like, hey, Robert, to their dad, it might seem like, if not rude, then sort of lacking in the normal intimacy of address that's generally expected of children towards their parents. Now, in Vietnamese, you expand this to basically everyone, including people outside your family. So as you would address an older sister as J, you would also address any woman similarly aged to your sister as J. And when that older sister becomes old enough to become your mother, so then you change that to go, and your older brother would be an, and your father and uncle would be ju or bat in the north. Any younger sibling would be am, and if they're young enough to be your child, then you call them gong. So translated into a regular conversation, it might sound a bit like this. Hey, older brother, are you done in the shower? No, older brother needs another 10 minutes. Well, younger brother needs to get to school in 20 minutes. Can younger brother use older brother's car? 
can't younger brother use younger brother's car? No, older brother. Mother took younger brother's car to work early today and forgot to leave younger brother money for the bus. Now, just to show you how things can get even more confusing, imagine that there's a third person, say a third brother in between the older and the younger brother. This means that when the oldest brother says younger brother, he's potentially referring to two people, the middle or the youngest brother. And when the youngest brother says older brother, he could be referring to one of the other two brothers. And in the conversation, they'll be using the same pronouns, either older or younger brother, to refer to themselves. So if older brother uses the older brother pronoun an, he's talking about himself. But when the younger brother says an, he's talking about one of the older brothers. And the same goes for the younger brothers using the younger brother pronoun m. And finally, the second brother will switch pronoun depending on who he's talking to. So he'll be an to his younger brother and m to his older brother. And you're just expected to figure out who everyone's talking to or about from context. And to be fair, in reality, people use like names in order to make things a little bit easier. But it is all a bit crazy for English speakers who'll be doing what feels like linguistic algebra in their heads when figuring out which pronoun to use. And it doesn't stop at family members. So teachers are addressed as tai or yao depending on their gender, and even for your friends, there are several options that you can and should use, depending on how intimate you are to them. So as you can imagine, it's, it's, it's kind of like when a guy or a girl try to decide whether they're officially girlfriend or boyfriend yet, and if they're not on the same page, this can lead to awkward, like, oh, we're, we're not there yet conversations. In Vietnamese, the same happens with friends. So where it's like, like hey, friend level two, then the other person might be like, uh, let's just stay at friend level one. And for some reason, I couldn't find anything like a full list or even a number of pronouns. Uh, but a rough and unscientific count of the Wikipedia page brings up at least 30. And I'm pretty sure there are more covering all of the different ages, relationships, social status and contexts. And instead of learning these, you could substitute the word doi and ban which translates to I and you, but at some point it'll sound either weird or just downright rude. And this is the tricky thing for English speakers, because we're not used to placing people like that in our heads. Every he, she, or they are all in relation to one person. That's me. And in languages like Vietnamese, you need to know your place in the age or social hierarchy as compared to everyone else in the room or conversation in order to know how to say I, you, he, she, they, or we, or else it'll be impolite. And it's interesting to speculate whether there's a cultural root to this pronoun structure, which seems to put like a hierarchical family-based structure at the heart of interpersonal relations. Uh, conversely, in other languages, especially European languages, the center of interpersonal relationships is the individual. But uh, I, I have no uh, scientific or academic support for this, and I could just be overthinking this. Now, what happens if you're not sure of someone's age? Well, this is where you get into potentially tricky social waters, because in previous times, if you weren't sure, you'd have defaulted to the terms go and ba, or ju, uh, which is like aunt and uncle, as a sign of respect. But times have changed, and these days it's actually the reverse. So 
especially with addressing women, you should default to the younger term, or that woman may think that you're making a statement on how old they look, for which you will get a very dirty look. Now, let's look at particles next. And this is another bit of grammar that doesn't really exist in English, but is pretty important in terms of expressing yourself naturally. So in Vietnamese, like in Chinese, there are little words that you can tack onto the end of a sentence that change the meaning or the feel of the sentence. So if you were to ask a question like, what are you eating, vei? Then vei emphasizes the inquiry about the present situation and you want more details about it. Like, what are you eating and what does it smell like, taste like? I don't know, something like that. And then if you say, you've already eaten, ju. This turns the question into like a checking question. Like, you've already eaten, haven't you? And if you, if you say, you've already eaten ma, then the question sounds more indignant or surprised. Kind of like, why are you so hungry? You've already eaten, haven't you? And then if you say, eat with us, yeah, then this turns the sentence into like a, an, an informal, gentle push for agreement. Like maybe if you know that they don't actually want to eat. Maybe they're sick and you just be like, eat with us, you know? And this is kind of similar to adding the, the word D on the end, like uh, eat with us D. And this makes it kind of stronger. And, and, and it's sort of like turning into a suggestion, like let's, let's go eat, man. Let's go, let's go out and eat. So using these particles well sort of requires you to engage with the feeling of your sentence and until you can do so like your Vietnamese will sound a little bit robotic. Now besides this and other niggly aspects of grammar there are some factors of Vietnamese culture that make it difficult to speak or to understand that aren't grammar or phonology related. And so for one thing a study has shown that Vietnamese is one of the most information-dense languages in the world. This means that Vietnamese packs in more information per word than most other languages. Now, the study that I'm talking about measured and compared 17 other languages and also compared how quickly these languages were spoken. And if you multiply this by how many words it takes to express an idea, you get the information rate, which is kind of how fast your brain has to process incoming information. And interestingly, the main finding was that most languages share the same information rate, even if they differ in speaking speed or information density. So Vietnamese is an example of a language that is highly information dense, but spoken slowly. Um, and, I, and I have some doubts about this based on the next point, but we'll get to that. But Japanese and Spanish are at the other end of the spectrum, being languages that take many words to communicate meaning, but are spoken much more quickly. In fact, Japanese is so information thin that even though it is spoken very quickly, its information rate is lower than all of the other languages compared. Now, the study itself didn't say anything about the effect that this has on the comprehension or learning difficulty for non-native speakers studying that language. But it's interesting to speculate because in a high information density language like Vietnamese, mistakes or missing words are going to create bigger holes in understanding as you miss more information when you're speaking or listening. This means that a non-native speaker needs to concentrate harder to hear all the words in order to catch all the meaning. And they could also be more likely to be misunderstood because there are fewer words, which means any given mistake creates a larger gap 
of information for the listener. Now add to this the second point and the reason I have doubts about the claim that Vietnamese is spoken more slowly than other languages is that both of the Saigon and Hanoi accents have changed since the recent past and for a variety of socio-cultural reasons including like massive rural to urban migration over several decades and the infusion of other regional accents into those main accent groups they are now generally spoken more quickly and the southern accent in particular tends to be really bad at running words together so that the word like dive which means to leave can sometimes be simply shortened to die and it's interesting because if you listen to the way Vietnamese is spoken by overseas Vietnamese, their accents are generally frozen in time from whenever they or their family left Vietnam maybe one to two generations earlier. And they are generally crisper and more carefully pronounced than the modern accents. Now, a third factor may be a bit controversial. If I don't preface this right, it could come off sounding wrong. So before I say it, I will say that Vietnam is a absolutely wonderful place and as a people and culture and language, and I've been treated very hospitably on so many random occasions by friends and strangers. But trying to speak Vietnamese to a local can be a cruel and unforgiving experience. So you make a slight mispronunciation and you get a blank stare. Ask them to repeat what they said, but more slowly, and they say it again, but at native speed, or sometimes faster. You beg them with your eyes and your defeated expression to speak more simply because, look, you're just a lowly, bumbling foreigner who wants some noodles. And they turn away or shake their hands by their heads in a common gesture that foreigners soon come to learn means, nope. And sometimes they'll just straight out ignore you. Now you might say, Lee, you know, go study better, mate. Take a concrete pill and harden up and stop your bloody whinging. And listening to myself, I might say the same. Except that this is the view that is reiterated by almost every foreigner learner that I've met. And my teacher, Hom, laughs at me about it. And there are YouTube videos by Vietnamese people discussing this. And it's, it's not like every single Vietnamese person you try to talk to is like this. But it happens often enough that it makes the experience of learning Vietnamese in Vietnam, anyway, feel different to learning any other language in its native environment. And I've never heard a strongly convincing reason for why this happens. Some people point to the fact that Vietnamese people aren't as used to hearing their language mangled by foreigners because, well, there aren't many foreigners who speak it. And in my experience here, it seems true that most foreigners don't really try very hard to learn Vietnamese, which I think is a shame, but this might be part of the problem. So that's it. Basically, Vietnamese is an informationally dense language, its accents have sped up in the recent past, and the locals won't always be so accommodating to your crappy Vietnamese. So those are the main points. The pronunciation, the grammar, and the side points I just discussed are the bad news. Feeling intimidated? Don't worry, it's all downhill from here. Now, what makes Vietnamese easy? The first thing is the tenses. In English, what do you think is the difference between I have gone to France, I went to France, I had gone to France, and I was going to France? As a native speaker, you'll probably have to think about it for a minute. 
But ask any experienced foreign speaker of English, and they'll tell you fairly quickly about the many different ways the English language talks about the past, and the future, and the present, and the hypothetical. And what makes English tenses more annoying to learn is not just that you need to change the form of the main verb, like go. You also need to change the auxiliary verbs before it, like to have or to be. Which again depends on small differences in the time aspect of the tense, whether it's a past experience with a connection to the present, or a specific time in the past, or it's a past intention or a past event preceding a more recent event in the past. I thank you very much, English. In Vietnamese, you've never had it easier. It's just three words to express past, present, or future. That's đã, sẽ, and đang. And they're optional, so if you decide to use a time marker like yesterday or next Friday, then you don't even need to use the tense markers. That's three words compared to hundreds of verb and auxiliary verb conjugations in English and in other languages. This connects well to the next point: verbs. You don't ever need to change them. In English, you need to change verbs such as "I go" and "He goes." And if you've ever studied French, then you know there are more verb forms for he, she, we, and they. And if you really want to torture yourself with verb conjugations, then head straight to Arabic, because besides the first person, the second person, and the third person, so that's I, you, and he and she, and the usual plural forms like we and they, they have a second person you that has a masculine and a feminine form for when you're talking to a man or a woman, and then the third person they has a masculine and a feminine form for when talking to groups of men or women, and then there's another form for just talking to pairs of people which also has a masculine and a feminine form. So in total, there are like thirteen different persons covering masculine, feminine, and plural forms for every single verb, compared to four in English and six in French. And that's just for the present tense. So in Arabic, you can expect to learn literally thousands of verb conjugations to cover the past, the present, and the future tenses. Now in Vietnamese, there is just one form. The word for go is đi, and by memorizing those two letters, you can now say go in every possible context or situation. Now in English. You also need to make certain words match each other. This is called agreement. So, for example, you can't say this cars. You need to say these cars. And things get a little bit more complicated in some languages where nouns have genders, like in French, Spanish, or German. And, and there's no logic to it. You just have to remember that in French, beer is feminine and wine is masculine. But even this is child's play compared to other European languages where nouns have grammatical cases, which means that you need to change the form of the noun depending on the context. So in Polish, if you say "I have a dog" and the dog is big, the word for dog changes from "psa" to "pies." And in Polish, there are seven different cases for every noun, and you just have to remember them. Hungarian has eighteen, and Chez, a language from the North Caucasus region, with about fifteen thousand speakers, has sixty-four. Vietnamese, zero, zero genders, 
zero agreement, and zero cases. Now, the longest single word in French intergouvernementalisation is 27 letters long. The largest single word in English Numenultramicroscopic silicovolcanoconiosis is 45 letters long. And even Chinese, which is a monosyllabic language, has a terrible equivalent being the word biang. And this is a kind of noodle, and the character for which has 58 strokes in its traditional form, and 42 in simplified. The longest word in Vietnamese yeah. is seven letters long. And to be fair, taking the longest word of different languages doesn't tell you that much, but it is worth pointing out that most Vietnamese words are quite short. So the word bridge in Vietnamese is go, three letters. Delicious is ngong, four letters. And months like January, February, March are just months, one to twelve. So shorter words, they're easier to remember, write and say, and Vietnamese is generally pretty good like that. And finally, we spent the first part of the episode talking about how difficult the pronunciation could be. But one advantage Vietnamese has over English is that the pronunciation rules, as they relate to the spelling of words, are quite rigid. So in English, the A in can, car and case, or the OU in out, rough, through and furlough, are all different, and you just need to memorize them. In Vietnamese, the rules follow the letters, so if you've never seen a word before, you can pretty accurately guess the pronunciation of the word far, far more easily than in English. And this makes picking up new vocabulary in Vietnamese fairly straightforward once you've got a handle on the pronunciation. In English, you'll never be 100% sure about a word's pronunciation or stress pattern just by reading it. You'll have to find a native speaker or an online dictionary to check it even if you speak English at a native or near-native fluency. And that's basically it. The grammar, in many key ways, is really straightforward. The tenses are simple. There's no conjugation, no noun cases, or agreement of any kind. The words are short, and the pronunciation strictly follows the letters. And these are all important factors because... These things are what really steepen the learning curve after the initial stages in lots of other languages. But in Vietnamese, it looks like once you can get over the first hump and get your ear into the sounds, which admittedly isn't easy, then the rest is reasonably smooth. So in this episode, we talked about language difficulty, which basically asks how long does it take for a person to learn a language? And it's difficult to measure because there are so many factors that affect how quickly a learner learns, many of which have nothing to do with innate ability. And we also saw that the scales put Vietnamese in the category of harder than your average language for the typical English speaker. With the language itself, overall, Vietnamese definitely has some tough, grisly parts that take a lot of getting used to, and the pronouns or the pronunciation are just going to take a lot of time to get your ear into. But there are some surprisingly easy bits things that make English and other languages a lot more difficult and I hope that they give you some hope in learning this language if that's what you're thinking about. (laughs) 
Thank you for listening to the second episode of Footbridge to Vietnam. I hope you liked it. And if you have any questions, check out our Facebook page and leave a comment. Now, if you've had your interest peaked or you're already considering studying Vietnamese anyway, you might want to stay tuned for the next episode because this is where I talk to a number of Vietnamese learners who share their learning experiences as well as some handy tips about mastering some of the trickier parts of the language. And before we end the episode, a quick shout out to my teacher, Hom who teaches at the Learn Vietnamese with Annie School. She's been my Vietnamese learning rock for the last year and a half, and she's helped me look over the content and gave me a bunch of useful comments and pointers for some of the material that you heard in this episode. So thank you so much. Go Yao Thanks again for listening, guys, and see you next time.